Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for being with me today. I cannot wait for this time with you. We have uh, John and Pam Bloom back in the studio after their summer break. And boy, is it nice to see them again. Uh, We're going to be talking about, uh, well, we call this Deep Thinker Thursday because we like to pick a subject and do some deep thinking. And we also just want you to know that if there's something that resonates with you and you want uh, to learn more about it or you want us to clarify a point that was made, you can always send a text, uh, 877-933-2484. If you need us to repeat something, let us know. Or explain something, that would be great as well. 877-933-2484. John is the co-founder and board chair of Desiring God. And uh, he and Pam have got uh, five kids and live here in the Twin Cities. Welcome back. Great to be back. So nice to see you both. Thank you. Yeah, so tell me about the summer. It was restful. Good. <laughs> a lot of time outside, gardening. Barbecuing? A little bit. Yeah? We got back on a plane, and we went to see our son out east. So we had some travels that were canceled. We couldn't go to Asia, but mainly we're, we're home, and a little bit of travel this, this uh, late summer. It really, um, you know, people talk a lot about being cooped up during the COVID season and and of course there's there there has been some of that experience but one of the one of the benefits for us was just the slowing down of everything um our schedules are usually pretty busy Mm -hmm. kids are usually pretty busy we have teenagers in the house and so um it's it was really strange to have things really slow down and so we spend a lot more time at home i don't remember ever like enjoying the weather, like soaking in it or thinking about it, <laughs> enjoying uh-huh. my wife's gardens. She she planted beautiful gardens mm-hmm. around our our home, and uh, I just soaked in it. I I took tons of pictures. I mean, it's just some, it was just amazing. I, I I just thought, you know, um, I move too fast. Yeah, I move too fast. So there's some benefit to being forced to slow down. Mm-hmm. And did you get into a walking pattern, or did you find you developed a new habit? Um, well, the, I'm a walker anyway, so I, I do a lot of walking, okay. but, um, I think the habit that we've gotten into is just more time at home. Like it's been weird to have all of our teenagers at home in the evening so regularly, <laughs> yeah. you know, and us not running them around or, yeah. um, that, that, that has, I've grown used to that. And when things open up, um, that's going to be hard to break. Yeah. And the bandwidth in the house, it's all working to yeah. the max, right? <laughs> Everyone's on yeah, a computer yeah. or a laptop. Everybody's usually wired in somewhere. Yeah, school online. Yeah, yeah and they're all they're all online doing their school oh, thing wow. at home because of COVID. Yeah. So when we talk about just slowing down, it does cause uh, some reflection on time and how fast time can pass. And uh, I'm going to talk today a little bit about an article you uh, wrote in Desiring God called "We Are Myths and Marvels." And in this article, you really begin by talking about the experience of just being bewildered by the passing of time. And 
I have often thought, well, God created us, and he created us to live with him in his timeless kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. So is it any surprise that we're slightly bewildered by time? You talk to an 88-year-old person who says, it feels like just yesterday I was in college. Exactly. How is that possible? That was 65 years ago. Right. And, I mean, I we... We find the passing of time be, bewildering, and that's what—that's why I, I wanted to talk about this because um, not everybody experiences that. Pam will have something to say here in a few minutes about her her experience. We 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 because of our own makeup, our the way we're wired, um, we we process those things a little differently, and and that's just that's normal. I mean, people just experience it differently. But I I find myself frequently saying, and Pam will be witness, uh, bear witness to this that that I I'm going. Where did the time go? Yeah, so I'll give exactly. you a couple examples from my, from my life. Um, it's been 10 years since my father died. And um, I, just, I, I just go, 10 years? Where, where, where did the time go? It doesn't feel like 10 years to me. And in the summer, my oldest son turned 24. And, <laughs> you know, we live a couple blocks away from the hospital where all our kids were born. And so I, I walk by that... F- that you know, most days of the week, and uh, I just I look over there and I go, where I remember I can remember like it was last year or two years ago, holding him mm-hmm. in my arms. I can see him. I'm walking, pacing back and forth, and that was not yesterday or last year. It was 24 years ago, hmm. and then the summer, um, uh, what marked. In July, it marked 36 years since I asked this beautiful woman. She was 16 at the time, though, to uh, to to date me. Go steady, <laughs> right? Want to go steady with me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and that was 36 years ago. But but when that memory still has this hue of new ab- about oh, it, newness, yeah. I feel I feel when I go back in my head, I can see see us taking the, that first drive. We took a long walk, <laughs> um, and. That just feels new to me, but it's not new. It's it happened a, a long time ago, thirty six yeah. years ago, and I just go, where did the time go? And I feel like that that is a, a a an experience we all have. It's like where did where did it go? Um, and it's not the math, and we can do the math. You know, there's X amount of days, thirty seven hundred days since my dad died, eighty eight hundred days since my son was born, thirteen thousand days since we since I asked her out for the first time. It's not the math that bewilders us. It's something more profound than that. It's that this life we've been given has this significance about it with all of its sweet and bitter dimensions. We, our lives are significant, but it passes so quickly and then it's gone. So John brought up, let's talk about this article. And <laughs> inside I'm kind of rolling my eyes like, because she rolls her eyes at me yeah. when I, whenever I talk like this. Yeah, I like to be asked questions that I can answer, not where did time go? Like, I don't know. I can't answer that. And so it's a, it's a longstanding joke. Like, I, I feel like I can't relate, but it, it's an opportunity for me to try to relate. Like, I have my own ways that time passes and I'll go like, whoa, it's already 5 o'clock. Like, I lose track of time. In small ways, but this is my deep thinker husband, and I'm here with him. 
But I think it's uh, pretty interesting. I, most people feel a little bit perplexed as to where has the time gone. Yeah. And if we're created in God's image to be living with him throughout all of eternity in his timeless kingdom, I don't think it's a big surprise why we scratch our heads sometimes. And right. think, and why? some and p- some people do scratch their heads more than others. Oh yeah, and that's just part of our, you know, part of our makeup. And it's fine to be different. Like like if if people are listening and they don't really resonate to the degree to which I'm, I ponder it or uh, find it bewildering. That's fine. Um, but all of us in our own ways, just we end up saying things like, "Man, time passes so fast." Or like my grandmother, she was ninety two years old. She said to me, um, "I still feel like." I'm 23 inside. Right, right. What's that about? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, so I'm, so in this article, I'm trying to unpack what are the dynamics going into that? Why do we feel that? Why do we experience that as a strange thing? And I think it's important to even talk about this year. Like 2020 feels like this weird time warp. Like we, we talk about what day is it and. How is time moving and things that we would normally market by are not happening. So this is giving some some pinpoints and some context to this year. Yeah. So I talk about life as being um, human life being marvelous or marvels. Like we are human beings are just marvels um, because I think that's what the Bible talks about us as. And we are mists. Miss, M-I-S. Mists. Like M-I-S-T-S's? Yes. Okay. Mists. Like, the, like the, the mist, like a vapor of smoke. Right. That, and and both, of, both of those things are coming from, from Scripture. We can, let's, so let's just talk about what, I, what do I mean when, when I say that we're marvels? Because this is part, this is, this is part of why it feels so strange to us. Um, we all have this intuitive sense that our lives have profound significance. We can't escape it. We just do. It's our default assumption and that's coming from the way god made us even though we might be told um that our lives aren't that significant so if we believe in the you know the the the, uh, the theory of naturalistic evolution where where there's just there is no creation we we are cosmic accidents we don't believe it nobody lives that way or if we really do internalize that we don't want to live anymore because we know we have purpose. Human beings must have purpose. We know our lives have significance. And we also know that the whole human history, the story arc over human history, is a significant one. With all of its collective triumphs and tragedies. Um, and, and this isn't just because we're proud. It's not just human hubris. It's, it's, it's because um, most of us, just we, we, well, we all have this default um, sense of significance, but we also feel our smallness, right? We, we've, it's, not, it's not pride. We, we also feel our smallness in the cosmos. And, and David, King David writes about this in Psalm 8 when he says, when I look to your heavens and the work, the works of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel my smallness, God. What yeah. do you, why do you care for me? I'm an ant on this planet. Um, but yet, even in view of our smallness, we know there's something just simply awesome about humanity. And just a brief glance around us shouts this. So when I was writing this article, I was sitting on my front porch. It was a beautiful summer day. And I just stopped and I just looked to look around. And I saw automobiles driving 
um, in front of my home, automobiles. Those are amazing. Human beings made those. Right. I looked up. There was a jet, you know, coming. We, we don't live that far from the airport. The jet was flying up, and I just thought, there's an airplane. We're, you know, I don't know, 200 people are on their way somewhere mm-hmm. in that thing that's flying through the air. It's a machine. Human beings made that. And all the systems that support it. And there's right across the street is this educational institution that helps um, underprivileged children with their, you know, progress in school. Somebody thought up that 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 whole all those programs. People thought those up. And uh, and then next door we have one of our our good friends, our next door neighbor, is a really um, uh, gifted gardener. So so her gardens are amazing. And uh, and she was out there working and just looked at it and just went, she's created this, this area of beauty. Human beings, just the most ordinary of us, are simply astounding. I agree. And so um, these, are, you know, and, um, these are just, that's just part of our normal life. If we stop and look, <laughs> what we're doing right now, we're on the radio. People are listening to us on the radio. That's amazing. I know. I think of a person who's in their car driving home from work in Hartford, Connecticut right now, or Waterloo, Iowa, and they're listening to us talk right now. That's right. Is that not nuts? No. I think it's nuts. Okay, we need to take a break. All right. Uh, Deep Thicker Thursday is happening. John and Pam Bloom are my guests talking about being bewildered about uh, time. I think we all have had thoughts of where has time gone, and time is hard to sometimes understand and put in place, but we're going to keep chewing on it. We'll be right back. We're talking about the experience of being bewildered by the passing of time. If you have an insight or something that you'd like to share, I'd love to hear it, just because I want to get to know you better, and I want to hear how you frame time and uh, in your mind, 877-933-2484. And then um, my guests are John and Pam Bloom, and we're um, talking really about an art, uh, article he wrote in, in um, Desiring God called We Are Mists and Marvels. So uh, let's pick it up, uh, John and Pam, where we left off. Yeah, so I was talking about how, you know, the, just the marvelous capacities of human beings. Now, I, what I don't want to say is underplay the fact that um, we have great and grievous capacities for evil, right? So that's also going on. Um, but but even in view of that, it's just, it's simply amazing. Our, 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 our human intellect, our capacities for language, our aptitudes for innovation and creation, our ability to impose order upon chaos, it's, it's simply amazing, which is why in the same psalm, Psalm 8, David, when he, he's, he's wondering, you know, why, why are you mindful of, of us, God. He, he then says, you've made man a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet. So there, there like he's, yes, we're small and we're significant. And uh, it's, 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 it's amazing. God has endowed human beings with glory and honor, be, having been made in his image. And this is the profound significance that we all into it. We are made in the image of God, even those who deny it. We, our lives are imbued with tremendous meaning. And yet, we're mists. 
also. And that adds a strange thing, significance and mistiness, right? Our lives are imbued with tremendous meaning, and that they pass so fast. We were just talking in the break, you know? Um, you graduate from high school. It's amazing how fast graduation and 20th reunion mm-hmm. happens, Yeah, right? yeah. And um, I'm coming up um, in the next, like, I'm four years away from doubling that, right? It would be 40th okay. reunion. Like, like uh, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, what in the world happened? Yeah. Where did it all go? Yeah. And, um, and that's partly why we find this whole experience of life, these, these some of us, uh, bewildering. Just, just like, whoa, significance and speed. It's, it's going. I look in the mirror now, and, and I'm, you know, I'm at the age I remember my dad well being in his 50s. I'm in my 50s. And, and, he's, and I look in the mirror, and I just go, huh, what happened? I'm getting old, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the Apostle James says... Uh, in chapter 4, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're mists. The Bible says both. We, can, we, we look up and, and 10 years are gone, 24 years are gone, 36 years have suddenly passed, and we're hit with the re- realization that our lives are soon gone and we fly away, as Moses writes in Psalm 90. Or in Psalm 103, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. And that's what, like, remembers it no more. My life feels as meaning, and then we're gone. Yeah, I mean, you're forgotten in three generations, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, at the the least. Can you name your great-great-grandfather? Um, my great, 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 probably can't. I wonder if people can. Yeah. You can, you know, of course, you know, your grandmother and grandfather's name, right? Yeah. Of course. And our great grandfather. I can, I can, I can. Can can you go one more generation though? No. Yeah. See, you're pretty much forgotten in three generations. Yeah. And, and even the, even the people who remember you as your great grand, like you're you're a name on a tombstone. Exactly. They don't, they don't know know anything about you. You're a name in the list of a genius. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and so it's that existential experience of being marvels and mists, our lives just relentlessly moving down this continuum of life, and we're leaving behind these, these experiences that are massively important to us, and they become increasingly distant in our past, and, and, and the earthly end, the only reality that we've yet known, is approaching, and it's strange. It's, it's strange, and that's... Um, it recurrently catches us, or at least some of us, by surprise. And we just go, what? What's happening? Yeah, I think I, I want to remain uplifting in this discussion because what lies ahead is this glory. Yes. Our, our treasure, our reward. This is where our eyes are fixed. That's right. Otherwise, it's kind of a depressing conversation. <laughs> right. I think that's where we want to hold the tension of both. Life is very brief and it's very important. And I was, as we were talking, I was remembering, um, when did I first even have the sense like my life is important and, and that it's important to God. And I remember as a kid, there's a, we had a record by the Gaithers. We might play it. And it's a, it's an odd little song, but it had deep meaning to me because I feel like that was the first time I realized I have 
significance in it. The lyrics say, I am a promise. I am a possibility. And it builds to, I am a great big bundle of potentiality. <laughs> and I just, with the anthem, even though it like is an exciting kind of a catchy song, I internalized that, that, that I have real meaning and there's potential and significance. And whether we do great memorable things that we're seeing in the eyes of God that way, that's eternal. And it's worth exploring, like, what, what is that potential in Christ? And so that's the hinge here. So mm-hmm. now we're tr- so returning from this is a weird experience to what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And it has meaning for us. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain here in shortly that, that that experience is meant to be a reminder and a pointer, something that God has designed for us. Uh, and I draw that out of scriptures. Um, how much time do we have before the break? Okay, I don't want to get into something that I can't. Um, so here's, here's uh, drawing from Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, God has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So he's so this is this is partly why we have this experience. Um, God's given us this ability to conceive of eternity. Yet, in spite of conferring upon us all these marvelous capacities we were just talking about, He has not granted us the ability to peer into eternity past or uh, see eternity future, no matter how hard we try. Now, he's given us promises and certain biblical glimpses, but there are, there's lots of limitations to that. However, he's put this in our hearts so that we, so that we turn to the, the one great person of significance who is not a mist but a rock. So after the break, I think we'll... All right, we'll take a little break. Got a nice uh, message from David. He said, just wait till the 80s. They'll sneak <laughs> up on you quicker than you think. No, I, I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah, and Jim said, uh, back in 1970 in eighth grade, first day of class, um, our teacher gave us the whole class an assignment. What is time? I guess I didn't really have an answer. None of us did, but I think he was looking for the smart kids. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with uh, John and Pam Bloom. Deep Thinker Thursday is back. You are a promise. You are a possibility. You are a promise with a capital P. You are a great big bundle of potentiality. And if you listen... You'll hear God's voice, and if you're trying, He'll help you make the right choices. You're a promise to be anything God wants you to be. For Susie Larson Live on Faith Radio. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Pretty spectacular to think we didn't come out on an assembly line. We were handcrafted by God. Right. And we are his handiwork, and that's pretty powerful. We we are significant, and we matter, and we uh, we are loved, deeply loved. But our life is still a mist. It's a mist. And we will easily lose hope. You know, like, like you said, if, we, if all we're talking about is the trans, you know, transitory nature of life and, and, you know, how in three generations nobody was going to remember us and all that kind of thing, it's, it, it can get depressing. Um, but, that's, but that's only if we're trying to root our sense of significance here in this age. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all like grass, every single one of us, all the greatest people of history, you know, I mean, most people, if they hear of them at all as a blurb, it's a little paragraph or so in some textbook that some kid is bored reading because they're been being made to by their history teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's where hope for significance is rooted, um, it's going to be disappointed because our significance comes from our creator. And so uh, what do we do with this whole strange surprising experience of living in this age where, where where we feel like our life is our life is we know it's significant we also feel its sense its transitory nature and um i think as i said earlier that that we're meant to understand this as a reminder to us and as a pointer toward hope so it's a reminder it's a reminder that we are contingent creatures and that the profound significance that we intuitively know that our lives possess is, is a derived significance. It's not something that we confer upon ourselves. We're not significant because we say we're significant, because we say we're a great big bundle of potentiality. It's because God says that, right? And so um, it's a, it's a der- we, we derive our significance from, from God, we're created in his likeness and then given from him marvelous capacities. And even if we don't think our capacities are marvelous, it's only because we're comparing ourselves to somebody else who has some, you know, some greater levels that we see. And so it makes us feel bad about ourselves. But every human being has remarkable, amazing capacities. And so um, in God, we live and move and have our being, it says in, in Acts seventeen twenty eight, And we receive from him our allotted periods of life and the boundary of our dwelling place. And the brevity of those allotted periods of life that we, are, that we receive. And we each receive a, a different allotment of brevity. Some could be 20 years, some could be 40 years, could be 80 years. Um, it, it makes us cry out with with King David, O Lord, make me know my end that I may, and the, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. That's from Psalm 39, verse 4. Let me know how fleeting I am. Why? Because I need to remember where life comes from and where it's going. That's why. That, that, this, is, that, that this life here, I cannot put all my hope here. My hope needs to be anchored in eternity. God has placed eternity in our hearts because he is eternal. And we need to anchor our hope to what is eternal, not what is transitory. Make me know how fleeting I am. 
And then our experience, that's a reminder. Our reminder of our fleeting nature is to remind us where permanence is. Who is permanent? Who is significant? Where do we get that from? And then our experience of this deep heart longing for eternity that we have in the face of the brevity of our lives is a pointer. (laughs) It's a pointer that we're actually designed for such a thing as eternal life. It's part of the design. And so for those who have eyes to see, it's a, it becomes a gospel pointer. For God has reopened for us the way to the tree of life, the, the way that, that got removed from us after the debacle in, in the Garden of Eden. He's opened up, reopened us the way to the tree of life, eternal life, through his son Jesus. So that we... <laughs> So that all who believe in him may not, what? John 3.16, may not perish, but have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Right? That it's a pointer toward gospel hope. It's a reminder. There is permanence. We must anchor our hope to that and a pointer to where it is. That's what, that's what I think those moments of bewilderment ought to be for us. Um, this reminder... And the pointer. So when you so when we come to those moments when we ask where where did the time go, those can become reminders that, like the the, uh, the prophet Isaiah said, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. From Isaiah forty, and I'm watching that right now. Pam's beautiful gardens are starting to wither. Mm passing away. I'm walking through them and I'm feeling different. And they're pointers. They're reminders. Life is brief. My life is like this flower. It's fading in the garden. But those moments are also pointers to the reality that though our days are like grass, and this is, this is from Psalm 103 where you just quoted from, that though our days are like grass, yet the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting Everlasting. on those who fear him. Mm -hmm. It's permanent. It's everlasting. And so those moments, those moments when we get hit with that existential sense of of the significance of my life is going to be gone soon. What does it all mean? They come to, as Moses wrote in Psalm 90, to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And I was, as you were um, talking about the verse in Acts 17, I was reading today the context of that, where earlier it said, we have these allotted periods of time and boundaries of our dwelling place. And toward the end of the chapter, it says, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. Mm. So this is a planned day that is fixed, like on God doesn't keep a calendar like we do, but there is a time that's appointed where Jesus is appointed to come and judge and for us not to waste our days seeking, following man-made gods. But, you know, Paul warned of it in Acts 17 and people rolled their eyes like, I don't want to hear that. And others said, tell me more. And they believed. Let's uh chat about 
a verse from Psalm 139. I know you know it, but I'll read it real quickly. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So do we understand that all of the days we have on this earth, God knew that number before we had one of them? Is that how we understand that verse? That's what it says. It's 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 as clear as it can be. That's exactly how I, how I believe and understand it as well. Now, having that to be a solid biblical truth, how do we sometimes uh, be kind and lov- loving and gentle when someone loses someone and they they come right out and say, "Well, this happened too soon." Of course, it always happens too soon. You never want to, you know, lose anybody at any age. But in my head, I'm always thinking. No, he died at the he or she died at the exact moment God ordained, right? Yeah, but did you feel that way about your mom? Um, yeah, I did. So, I think the way I would answer that is there are there are there are truths that the Bible um, reveals to us from the perspective of God, so that we that we so that we can um, find that you know the the rock of of comfort in our own experience of the fragility and brevity of time. Because, um, you know, if you, it it would be normal, um, the the way we perceive life and experience it, if we have a child that passes away, we go, oh, we wanted them to live the full full measure of of the day. They died too soon. Of course. And there's a sense in which that's true. It doesn't mean that God isn't, that Psalm 139 isn't true, or we're denying the truth of that. But God is is very complex and can both grieve the death. He takes no pleasure in the death of anyone, it says. And we we feel the sense that, that, Something is not right about that, about that. Death is yes. an enemy, and yes. it's not supposed to happen. And God Himself grieves, yes, even though He rules, and even though He ordains, yeah. And so we don't have that power, and we don't have all that perspective. What we have is the experience of it, and and sometimes it just feels like no, like we, there was more that we wanted. You know, a spouse dies. There was, you know, I wanted her to, of course, I wanted her to, to walk, you know, down the aisle of her daughter's, you know, during daughter's wedding or I wanted this or, and that's normal. That's normal. But, um, the, the truth that Psalm 139 brings is a sense of, but I'm not God Mm -hmm. and God knows, and we can rest in the wisdom of his ordaining even though we know he grieves. Yeah, I, I hope I didn't sound like the Tin Man without the heart all of a sudden, you know, thinking that, that, there's, that, that this is what I think when somebody dies, that they had exactly how many days God ordained. Even though I do believe that, I would never say that to somebody unless they were a, you know, a real brother or sister in Christ, right? Right, right. I'm just, you know, we, we all just experience those things different depending on situation and so sometimes it can feel like that and mm-hmm. other times it can feel like what happened oh i know and uh, i know and so it all it's just part of the human experience part of this what this whole experience that we're talking about this person had significance and they're gone you know and 
And it's strange. But yet, and yet it becomes a reminder and a pointer. Mm-hmm. God ordains you know, all of our days. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Ephesians 2.10. So, All right, let me take a little break. We've got John and Pam Bloom. Uh, Deep Thinker Thursday. We'll be right back. Even the music is uplifting today. I thought so. Yeah, thank Good choice, Rebecca. All right, John and Pam Bloom are my guests. Deep Thinker Thursday, we've been talking about the, the, the speed at which life seems to go and how many of us are bewildered by the passing of time. And uh, we are both uh, myths, but we're also marvels. And I guess the question is, I want to spend time in a very upbeat way saying, how do we live in this fallen, fragile world? Take it away, John and Pam. So this is just another piece that I, that I wrote. And, and uh, as Pam and I talked about this, we thought maybe the best thing to do was be to read it, and uh, Pam and I will read it together, just alternating portions of this. Um, groaning, waiting, hoping. It's titled. And I wrote this in the late spring of this, this year. A late verdant spring is at this moment giving way to a lush early summer in Minnesota the state where I've sojourned these 55 years. Walking outside on a fair morning when the brilliant new variegated greens of the trees and grasses are bursting with life, when a gorgeous spectrum of colorful, fragrant blossoms waves in the gentle breeze and seems to silently sing for joy, when the deep blues of our abundant rivers and lakes quiet frenetic thoughts and everything is awash with the golden light of a blazing star ascending in a sky field of azure one can almost wonder if eden has returned almost and then a police vehicle speeds by me followed soon by a blaring ambulance and then beneath the bridge i see the decaying body of a songbird whose voice so recently added more beauty to our urban avian choir And then I pass by the burned-out, boarded-up buildings that testify to the great pain and anger that just days ago surged through our streets after a man was needlessly killed under the knee of an officer of the peace. And then I read of another priceless life lost to a global pandemic, adding to the terrible death toll of hundreds of thousands and to the millions of living hearts broken. And then... I read of the global economic crisis driving hundreds of millions to desperate places. The news stories keep coming. Another child subjected to the nightmare of sexual abuse. The impending demise of the Great Barrier Reef. The brutal slaughter of 92 soldiers at the hands of armed religious zealots in Central Africa. I don't want to read more. Eden has not returned. Looking at a sun-drenched, sun-morning world, we can delight in its glory and the glory of the one who created it. 
But woven into the sublime beauty is sorrowful gore. The world labors under a profound and horrible brokenness. We hear its groaning and groan with it, calling out to the one who created it. But there is hope in this groaning. For the world's creator is also its redeemer, and he has promised that something greater than Eden is coming. Why is this world so profoundly and horribly broken? And why do we intuitively and deeply feel that it should not be this way? The fact that mankind can't help but ask both of these questions is revealing. Modern man, try as he might, to convince himself of naturalism, that the world is not broken, just brutal, and that we are merely the byproducts of a long, ruthless, organic competition for survival, and that there's no objectively moral way that the world should be, he cannot escape the instinctive sense that something here is deeply disordered. There's something about our life that ought to mean more than spawning more life. There's something about sickness that ought to be cured. There's something about calamity that ought to be prevented. There's something about injustice that ought to be brought to justice. There's something about death that ought not to be our ultimate goal, our ultimate end. And there's something about our own moral depravity that ought not to be a part of us. That dark dimension of us that history and headlines remind us has potential to grow into something horrific, given rain. That makes us long for forgiveness and redemption and emancipation. These deep, inescapable intuitions come from somewhere, and the Bible tells us where. They're part of our collective human memory. All right, I think we had a little pause there, a little break in the action. Right, my, my, uh... That's okay. My computer just, I, I think I accidentally, accidentally closed out my document. So here, okay. These deep, inescapable intuitions come from somewhere. And the Bible tells us where they're part of our collective human memory, recalling an ancient catastrophe when our first ancestors, and all of us since then, defied the Creator, resulting in a devastating fallout. Because you have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And you, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And when sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. But death was not the only consequence of the human fall. The entire creation was subjected by God to futility, and has been groaning ever since. When humanity fell, by attempting to seize what belongs solely to God, 
God commanded that the infection of appalling evil that entered us spread into the entire created world that we inhabit. Why? In order that we would have reflected back to us in the profound and horrible brokenness of the world, the moral horror of sin. And that's why the world seems to writhe with suffering. That's why we know things shouldn't be this way. Creation's anguish is a witness and reflection of the cataclysm that is for it is for creatures to reject their creator. But when the creation was subjected to futility, the one who subjected it did so in hope. What hope? The hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The futility infecting creation is not ultimately futile. It points to coming liberation. The harbinger of that liberation occurred when the Creator suddenly stepped into creation, groaned with and entered into its horrific suffering, and in the place of such rebels as us, bore the full brunt of the Father's righteous judgment to the point of death, even death on a cross, and then rose from the dead, the firstborn of all creation, became the firstborn of the new creation, that in everything he might be preeminent. It is not only the redeemed children of God who will experience resurrection to new life. God has promised to make all things new. This means the whole creation will experience a kind of resurrection, a newness of life, of, free of corruption, free from blaring ambulances, silenced songbirds, murdered men, deadly pandemics, child abuse, defying, dying reefs, and senseless violence. These things, as unbearable, unbearably horrible as they are, as much as they cause creation and the children of God in this age to groan, are the birth pains of child, the pains of childbirth, and the great Redeemer brings his work to a close and history builds to its great climax. It really is not Eden I long for when a sublime spring morning in Minnesota takes my breath away. It stirs in me the sweet longing, as C.S. Lewis said, to find the place where all the beauty came from. The glory in creation I see makes me long with unveiled face to behold the glory of the Lord. This profound brokenness of the world is not the way it should be. It's cursed. But it will not be cursed forever. It will not always be broken. It will become, at the word of the Creator, another world, a renewed world. And so... The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, and the sons of God eagerly long for the creation's liberation. Is this all a fool's fantasy? There is an empty tomb bearing witness that life has great meaning, that all sickness for God's children will find its cure, that all calamities will meet their end, that all injustice shall be put right, that our sin debts have been fully paid, and our depravity will be eradicated. And our sweet, deep, groaning longings? Again, in the words of C.S. Lewis, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Although we cannot see everything now, we hope for what we cannot see and wait for it with patience. Well, that's some great insight for living in a fallen and fragile world. Uh, If our listeners want to head over to DesiringGod.org, that is all there, isn't it? It is. It is. You can go to DesiringGod.org, and this is entitled Groaning, Waiting, Hoping How to Live in a Fallen 
and fragile world. John, Pam, great to have you back. It's great to be here. Thank you. We tackled kind of a difficult subject because I think we all wonder about time and think about it and scratch our heads and feel bewildered from time to time. I hope you got some great insight on it today. And thank you for uh, this time together with me. I've loved this time, and I'm looking forward to our time tomorrow already. That wraps up our show, so head over to MyFaithRadio.com if you want to hear the podcast or pass this on to a friend. Have a great night, everyone, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.